Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. For what today's reading is from Romans 1, verses 19 through 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and drive, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made, so they are without excuse. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to through science specifically, and there's such a divide, or there wants to be a divide between, you know, religion and science, because there's two different opinions. Um, and that conversation always comes up in the classroom when you're teaching, because they, the kids, you know, have their own opinions, and they're drawn to those opinions, and they want to argue a theological perspective or um, the science perspective. But honestly, um, I found when I was teaching in the classroom that um, you, you end up kind of bridging the gap between both because when you're teaching theology or you're talking about religion, you don't know all the answers and you have questions that are unanswered and that's where your faith comes into play. When you're teaching science, there's a lot of theories involved and you don't have all the answers and so you have to rely on the science that you do know and then come up with your opinions based on that, based on scientific fact and scientific method and testing and testing and questioning. Um, so I feel like um, based on the way that science works and the way that um, religion is, that you end up bridging the gap they're the same because you end up having questions about science that you can't answer and you have questions about religion that are unanswered. And because of that, um, you have to have faith. So what we're embarking on in this five-week sermon series is just the continuation of the exploration of the world God has given us. As students go back to school and, and sit in classrooms, as you read books and watch movies and are exposed to just all sorts of great knowledge and, and great wisdom that exists uh, both in the natural world or the supernatural world or anything in between, we want you to know that God is there. And that we are called to explore this great world. We are called to explore our beliefs. We are called to explore how we relate to each other. We're always called to explore because just sitting in one place is, well, really theologically lazy, if you will, as Amy started talking about. Let me tell you a story about when we were uh, up in Oregon this year. I know some of you were just waiting for family pictures to come into sermons because they always do, but... Um, we were up in Oregon, and we went just about 45 minutes northeast of um, Portland to this place called Multnomah Falls. 
And uh, what we saw there was amazing. We stood on this, on this bridge tower, and we saw an exothermic reaction based upon the distance that the earth is to the sun and the right season in the orbit of the earth to the sun to where that exothermic reaction melted ice from a glacier causing 42 degree water to carve down over thousands of years this eroded path that carved into a, uh, a really dedicated stream of water that then well, by the force of gravity, based upon the way that the earth rotates, caused this gravity at a constant force to pull the water down off of a cliff that had been caused by geological disturbance that had caused a mountain to spring up, and that water crashed onto rocks at the bottom. And because we were able to measure the velocity of the water, we could tell just how long that uh, waterfall had been being crafted out of the earth. Sounds inspiring, right? really, really inspiring. What we saw, what we saw was all those things, but nobody was taking pictures of an exothermic reaction falling off because of the rate of gravity onto water. We were all looking at a majestic 480-foot-2 waterfall. And the thing is, I was looking at this 482-foot waterfall and marveling at why in the world are we fascinated? It's literally water falling off a cliff. Our ice maker broke last summer when it was hot, and water literally fell off a cliff into the back of our refrigerator, and it poured out, uh, making a huge mess, and no one came and took a picture of that for some reason. But when we stare at something like this, we can describe everything about how this works, and it still takes our breath away. This is where I believe Paul is pointing us when he's um, starting into Romans 1. Now, Romans 1, that 19 through 20, is used by everybody to make this bridge between science and religion. But that's not really what Romans 1 is about, or even the entire letter of Romans. The, the first chapter of the letter to the Romans is really Paul just being over people that can only see God in one box. It's a letter to, written between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, and I'll prove to you that he's over it. In verse 3-5 at the end of it, um, he's asked the first of his rhetorical questions, and he says, I speak in a human way, which essentially means I speak in a sarcastic way. He's asking, he goes through and he asks all these rhetorical questions, and he's just completely done with people who want to put God in a box. He's completely done with people who want to put the world in a box. And what Paul does when he is... Um, when he is talking about, in these different rhetorical arguments, is Paul shows his educational prowess. Um, in 1 Corinthians 9, 22, he puts it this way, To the weak I have become weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. And so Paul uses different rhetor rhetorical devices. He uses different ways of arguing. He uses different ways of communicating to different people. And who is he communicating to but a bunch of Romans who have been influenced by Greek philosophers? And in, the Greek uh, in Greek philosophy, uh, the really kind of prime argument or, or prime understanding of the world comes through Plato. And Plato described the world in uh, forms. So in everything, there is a divine perfect realm with all the perfect forms. And what we are able to sense are simply copies of those forms here on earth. So that chair, this carpet me, the Texas Rangers, you know, on some level there is a perfect form 
out there of all of these things. Now, when we look at things, there is a progress of advancement to where I could look at that chair and it, it's inanimate, so it's probably a perfect match. We get to the Texas Rangers. I'm not sure the Texas Rangers are the perfect match of the perfect form uh, in the divine realm. And so what we as creation do is we work to mirror that divine form. And what they are doing, what Paul is doing, what Plato is doing, is the same thing that Stephen Hawking was doing in the 20th century, is looking for the unified theory of everything. The Greeks were looking for one thing that made everything else make sense. They were looking for some mathematical constants in the world that made everything else make sense. And here's the beauty is they found some of those. And as we progress through mathematics, we found more of those mathematical constants of how the world works. And, and we've integrated those into science where we have, um, instead of just Newtonian physics, we have Einstein's theory of relativity because the math of the speed of light has caused us to understand how the world was formed. Right, we have all of these wonderful different theories, and Paul speaks in this way when he says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made, so they are without excuse. Paul is essentially over people who are trying to divide science and religion. And he's using this Greek rhetorical device to say that what you see as physical is also spiritual. What you see as operations in the world are a, a sign that there is a unified constant behind everything. He's using this Greek philosophy to inspire other people who have been formed by Greek philosophy to be able to walk into the world and see the beauty of engineering and the beauty of architecture and say there is something bigger behind that. Because we don't go take pictures of exothermic reactions falling at the force of gravity onto a bunch of boulders. We intentionally stop on historic Highway 30 to take pictures of an awe-inspiring, beautiful waterfall. When we're going through, like, no one goes to Chicago to take the architecture tour because they're entranced by right angles. They go and they see the artwork that somebody used mathematics to carve into this beautiful structure or this monumental tower. And, you know, anybody who's an architect or an engineer knows how the Willis Tower was built. It used to be called the Sears Tower, if you didn't know it changed names. Right? Everybody can tell you how that was built. It still doesn't stop you from staring up at the top of it and thinking, how can this be? Right? There's an awe that actually comes with certainty. And I think that's what people who are going into the scientific classroom or the mathematics classroom, I think that's one of the things that they can take awe in is the certainty behind it all. Um, I, I, there's, a, there's a certainty that's, that is being argued about in, in multiple different realms. And I would say that the real divide between kind of science and religion actually happened in 1517 when Martin Luther went to the door of Wittenberg Cathedral and he nailed his 95 theses up against the door and started the Protestant Reformation. And, and why I point that, because Martin Luther had nothing to do with science, um, but why I point to that demarcation line is because it was an overreaction almost against the ills of the Catholic Church. And, and in that overreaction, the, the Catholic Church had centered all of the authority and everything that was true in what the church said. They were infallible and inerrant in the papacy. And Martin Luther swung back over and said, no, the only thing that we can rest on 
is called sola scriptura, is scripture alone. Now, Luther himself found inconsistencies with the natural world and the Bible. John Calvin found inconsistencies with the natural world and the Bible. And all of these people up until about 1568 said, yeah, when you see something in, like the sun doesn't stop in the sky, right? That's, you know, no matter what Joshua said, let's go with the natural world. The natural world, as Paul tells us, is a revelation about how God works. But as this doctrine of Scripture alone started taking hold against people who were mad at the Catholic Church, it started uh, getting a little more weighted to say, I mean, basically as a political reaction, no, 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 if it doesn't agree with these 66 books, depending on which version of the church you're in, then it doesn't matter at all. And there was an archbishop, or, uh, there was a cardinal in France who in 1568 was the first person to say, nope, if it doesn't agree with these 66 books, then it doesn't agree at all. And that morphed into different iterations, but largely, largely people like Galileo were ardent Catholics. Sir Francis Bacon, who developed the scientific method, was an ardent Presbyterian. Most of the scientists who started the scientific revolution were trying to explore all that God had made. They were trying to not figure out the, the why behind things, but just the how, so that we could be empowered with the knowledge of the consistency. So that's the other thing that I feel like is, is able to be gained. Is I, I went off on a tangent about the certainty thing. Right, as science and religion are both trying to find certainty, they're both trying to stake their claim as we are the certain dominant force and we are the certain dominant force. Paul brings us back together and says, no, you work together. And what happens is that the empowerment found by the certainty in the world, the mathematical constants, the scientific constants that we find, we test, we discover, and we continue to explore, you know what, we can harness that in a spiritual realm to make things better. We can protect the earth that God has given us. We can figure out how to grow food more efficiently to feed the masses around the world that are hungry. We can take this certainty, we say x plus y equals z, and we're able to harness that for the good of all creation. This is where I've been so confused as to why the church has not leaned more into the scientific nature of things or the mathematical nature of things or even just highlighting the God-given ability of engineers in the world. Right? Engineers used to make my life, I used to think they used to, uh, made my life awful because we get in Bible study and I'd go with some ethereal concept of God and they'd say, yes, but what's the method behind this? And I would tell them to leave. But now I love engineers because the spiritual engineers I've found are the ones who can say, this is the constant I see in the world and this is a device I can operate because God tells me I should love my neighbor as myself. Right, so what we can learn in the classroom, what we can be inspired by is the certainty that if there are so many things that are consistent in the world, there are so many things that work, A plus B equals Z, well, humans don't do that very well. Right? Amazon delivers packages to the wrong place all the time. Right? Microsoft Windows doesn't start up the right way all the time. Humans can't design flawless things. But we have certainty in the world and we can be inspired by that certainty into something greater and we can be empowered by that certainty into making the world better and operating more in line with God's desires for the world. But I think in that certainty and that empowerment, we should never forget the awe. The words of Psalm 19 ring in my mind where the psalmist starts off this beautiful poem 
The heavens are telling the glory of God and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. We don't take pictures of exothermic reactions falling at the force of gravity because the earth spins at a certain rate. We take pictures of things that take our breath away. And it takes my breath away that we can look at the origin of the species. It takes my breath away that we can build monumental structures. It takes my breath away of, that there's a waterfall that I can describe exactly how it works. And yet there's something spiritual about it. Francis Collins uh, is the director of the National Institute of Healthcare and was the leader of the human genome matching, mapping project. And, and Francis Collins is an ardent evangelical Christian. Um, and it is so inspiring when he gives an interview about his genome work. Um, he gets almost as excited about the process of how they map the human genome as he does about his faith in God. And when someone asks him, well, which one gives you more certainty? And he said, well, both of them give me equal excitement. And they both gave him equal excitement because in mapping the human genome, he, was, he said he found the fingerprints of God. He said he found how God was operating in the ways that different people have different personalities and how those different personalities interact together. And he could see God's fingerprints in the DNA that he had helped to map in that. He got equally excited about the scientific discovery of God's world as he was about God creating and being in the world. And out of that, he had felt empowered and he had felt inspired to discover more and explore more. It wasn't, see, this is the thing, I think. Whether in science or religion, we tend to make a God out of our idea. Whatever theory we have come to the conclusion of, we make a God out of that idea as opposed to pursuing God, the unknowable. First right? John 4 no one has ever seen God, but if we love, then God lives in us. It's a constant pursuit, it's a constant endeavor, it's a constant exploration. Where we become idolatrous is when we say the science says this, the theology says this. And there are certain things that have become laws, they've become theorems, they have become proofs, they have become truth. Until Einstein discovers that Newtonian physics is not the law of the land anymore. Until quantum theory comes and says that Einstein's physics aren't the law of the land anymore. Until we find biblical archaeology that suggests something may have been true or different. Until we have an experience with the stranger amongst us. Or until we become the prodigal son. And where we once were so certain about God's judgment, all of a sudden we are now convicted of God's grace. When you walk back in the classroom, kids who are in kindergarten through senior high school, college, graduate school, when you are exploring new endeavors, when you're watching Nova on PBS, when you are sitting down to help your kid with calculus homework and you are praying, God, please help me with this homework. Know that that is not distinct from what we're doing right here. We can worship God through the exploration of God's world because that exploration, even the certainty that that exploration brings, brings us an awe and wonder that ought to point us to something higher. And I wonder if we could even be more excited than we already are about the potential that science brings us for healthcare and engineering and making this world an even better place. Would you pray with me?
Gracious God, in the words of Paul, may we see your handiwork in the world around us. May we never settle with how, but be inspired as to the existence of it. May we be inspired, Lord, to harness it further for the good of your kingdom and for the betterment of your creation. May we be excited about what we learn in the classroom so that it may not be in conflict with anything that we are learning or experiencing here, but Lord, it might be a supplement to each other where we might recognize fully just how wonderful you are, how majestic you are, how incomprehensible you are. May we be driven deeper into an appreciation for you, not only when we sing your praises here, but when we study you in the classroom. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's join. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.